0: In Genesis, we have a number of themes that are introduced. Big themes that are going to carry throughout this entire story. One of those themes is the entrance of sin and the catastrophic consequences of sin upon all of our lives. Pain, suffering, disease, and death. So we have a group of people here this morning and represented in this room... We have, we have cancer, and we have arthritis, and we have migraines, and we have sleeplessness, and we have divorce, and we have, uh, we have depression, and we have failing parents, and dementia, and Alzheimer's, and on and on the list goes. It's all part of the story. It has been, it is now. It's going to be until God writes a new chapter. And so the gal in the video that you just saw was just a great example of when I talk about what does it mean to surrender your story to God's story? What does it mean to allow God to write the story of your life? God's inviting you to do the same. And so the question I just asked you this morning, and you'll hear this throughout the story is, you know, how, how are you doing with that, how, how are you doing with allowing God to write the story of, of your life? If you don't surrender that to him, you will become disillusioned, you will lack peace in your life, and, and you may be, even become bitter. Well, this morning we are going to continue on in our walk through the story, and so What I'd like to do is, I'd like to just remind us, do a little review here as we start. And so I'm going to start over here. And we come way over here and we have, in the beginning, God. That's where it starts. God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, they're present. And they create this stage upon which this drama is going to be acted out. We have the first couple, Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve have a couple of children whose names are Cain and Abel. They then populate the earth, and so we have like a thousand years to go by of space, and then we come upon this man named Noah in the flood. Well, Noah gets off the ship and uh, off the boat, and there's another 400 years and we get to a guy by the name of Abraham, who's going to be the person through whom God is going to build this great nation. The only problem is he and his wife can't have children, and they're like a 100 years old, and they have this child whose name is Isaac. Isaac then grows up. And of course, Isaac has a a brother who's kind of a secondary character in the play. His name is Ishmael. And then Isaac has Jacob. He has another secondary character. His brother's name is Esau. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons uh, of them, Joseph is one of the key guys. quite a few chapters in, in Genesis that are given to his life. We looked at Joseph's life last week. And the other person in the story, one of Joseph's brothers, his name is Levi. And uh, he is the one that will be the, out of, out of his family will come all the priests and all the Levitical priests. And so uh, he has a son, Levi has a son named Kohath. Kohath has a son named Amram, and Amram has a son whose name is, anybody know? Moses. ever heard of him? Moses had a brother, Aaron and Miriam. You'll hear hear about them. So here we are today. We are here. So if we go back to the beginning, just quickly now, help me out, okay? In the beginning, there was who? God. And then who's next? Adam and Eve. They had a couple kids. We go on for a thousand years, and we come upon the man named Noah. There's the flood. Noah gets off. We have another 400 years. God says he's going to build a nation, and he calls a man by the name of? Abraham Abraham and Sarah have a son named? Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has a son named? Joseph is the key one, 11 other brothers. Joseph has a brother, Levi, Kohath, Amram, and the last one, Moses. So here we are. I'm almost 60. I'm finally getting this down. Okay? <laughs> Uh, there's something with my brain I've, mem- I've memorized this and I'm always embarrassed because I can never remember the order you know there's Isaac and Jacob and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel and I get them all mixed up anybody else have that problem? okay good so I'm hoping this time through uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally get it down and uh, hopefully it will help you as well Moses' life uh, we can put it in three chapters Moses' life breaks down amazingly Forty years in, in, in the Pharaoh's palace, 40 years in the wilderness, and 40 years leading the people of God out of Egypt. Forty, 40, 40, he dies at 120. That's the life of Moses in a nutshell. So let's walk through the story, the lower story this morning. And we're going to kind of, we're going to go through it. There's so much that happens, we're going to, it's going to feel too quick, but we'll go through the story. Then we'll talk about the upper story, which is what's really happening from God's point of view. And then we'll end with a couple of points on how that impacts our story, your story, and and my story. So as we, as we walk through the story, we see that, you know, these 12 sons uh, were born and... God was working this all out in his upper story. You know, what happened to Joseph wasn't just about Joseph. It was about bringing Joseph's family out of the famine into a place where they could grow and where God could begin to set the stage for this amazing rescue that was going to take place. That's all part of what God was doing to the life of Joseph. And so we see here that Joseph was in Egypt and Goshen with his whole family and Pharaoh was very favorable. But then Pharaoh died and there were other Pharaohs and pretty soon they were not so favorable. And Abraham's people become enslaved in Egypt. It's very cruel. It's very difficult. And so we find that, that they are in, enslaved. But they're growing and they're, they're, they're developing and they're they're having a lot of kids and more kids than the Egyptians and they're growing like crazy. So Pharaoh tells all the, all the uh, <clears throat> midwives to throw out any boy babies. But they feared God more than Pharaoh, so they didn't do that. And God blessed them because they didn't do that. By the way, a promise was given a long time ago. God said, I will bless those who bless you. He's talking about <clears throat> those who bless Israel, I will bless you. And those who curse Israel, I will curse. I, I still believe that's true today, because God's promises don't change. And so the midwives said, "We're gonna, we're not gonna listen to Pharaoh. We're gonna listen to God." And you know what? God blessed the midwives, and they had prolific families. And so Israel here is growing, and Pharaoh's getting worried, and so he's becoming. Uh, <clears throat> things are more severe, and so. He starts slaughtering all of the young males that are born wherever he can find them. And so Moses, a young baby at this time, his mother fearing for his life, puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River and there the uh, <clears throat> there the, the queen of the uh, Pharaoh comes across Moses and... She finds him in the water. It's, it's an amazing story. Actually, it's, it's Pharaoh's daughter <clears throat> is the one that finds Moses, and she falls in love with him and takes him in and goes out and says, get me a Hebrew mother to nurse this child. And lo and behold, who is it? It's Moses' mother. So Moses' mother gets her child saved. She gets to be the, the, the mom that's nursing her child, and Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court. And uh, he has the best of everything. He has the best food, he has the best education, he has the best medical care, he has the best housing, he's in Pharaoh's palace, and that's the first 40 years of his life. One day he's out and he he sees one of the Hebrew slaves being beaten and he is so angry that he picks up something and he, he slays this slave master, this task driver and he kills him and Pharaoh's out for his life and so now we enter chapter 2 and he flees to the desert lives with uh, learns how to raise livestock gets married out there, finds a wife and that's his life 40 years quite the contrast so that's chapter 2 of his life then he's out in the desert and everything changes one day when he sees this bush that is on fire and it's burning and so he comes up to the bush, and, and God speaks to him through the bush. Now, you have to remember, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's court. He, he did not grow up in a Hebrew synagogue. He, he grew up in a place where there were many gods. And so when God spoke to him out of the bush, and, and Moses says, who do, I, who, do I tell the, who do I tell the people that you are? When, uh, when I go to them, he, he didn't know who this God was. He, he didn't know God. He... he he said, God, who, who will I say this is? And God said, well, tell them I am has sent you. And it must have been a profound experience because Moses went and he, he did as God said. Now, there's a lot more to the story, and I want to read some of it for you this morning. We're just going to take a few minutes. Uh, Exodus 3, verses 1 through 14. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible this morning. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over to see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you ought to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Wow, quite an experience. And this is a chapter change in the life of Moses. By the way, Moses is now 80 years old when he begins his venture. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he goes with Aaron, his brother, who God and him had a little discussion about the fact that Moses couldn't speak, and God didn't agree, but he agreed to send Aaron and invite Aaron to speak for him. And so he goes and, and he, he confronts Pharaoh, and we have all the plagues that God brings upon Pharaoh for refusing to let the people go, you know, the blood, in the water, the frogs, the grasshoppers, gnats, flies, livestock, darkness, boils, nine plagues, and every time Pharaoh says no. No, no, you're not, you're not going. But he's about to say yes. We pick up the dialogue in Exodus 11, verses 4 through 8, and this is plague number 10. We read these words. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go out throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites... Not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these officials of the earth will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you all and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Pharaoh. So that was the encounter. Moses goes back, tells the people what was going to happen, and of course, I'm sure in the conversation initially they were terrified. Every mother's looking at her firstborn son. But then we hear these instructions to the people of Israel, chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once, select the animals of your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and he will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down in worship. And the Israelites did Just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. And Pharaoh and all his officials and all Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go and also, also bless me. Well, God wins the show now. By the way, God always wins. He, he never loses. And uh, <clears throat> we know the rest of the story. It's over a million people 600,000 men plus children and women and they head out. They get up to the sea. They're surrounded with mountains probably on on both sides of them, the sea in front of them. They turn around and and Pharaoh's changed his mind and he's coming (coughs) behind them. And there's no place for them to go. But God is orchestrating the entire event and we see that they they go across the Red Sea on dry land. There's an, old, there's an old man who was praising God for the parting of the sea, and he was worshiping God, and there was a skeptic, and he scoffed at the man, and he said, Old man, he said, Don't you know? He said, It was probably only a few inches of water where they crossed the Red Sea, which <clears throat> of course there's no, <clears throat> no case for that. But, and the man paused for a moment, and then he just kept praising God. He said, now, now why are you praising God? He said, I'm just thinking the miracle it was that God drowned the whole Egyptian army in just a few inches of water. <laughs> it, was a, it was a divine miracle, one that the people of Israel would never forget when those seas parted. And then the text says that the, there were walls. It doesn't say there were a few inches of water. It says there were walls of water on both sides of them. And they made it across and... They got to the other side and they watched the waters come in and they watched the Egyptian bodies float up on the shore. That must have been quite a moment. That must have been quite a moment. And they turned around and there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and they would move on and God would bring water out of rocks and food down, manna from heaven. And it was a time that the Israelites were told, you, you, need, you need to sit down and tell your kids this. Every year, you need to remember this event of God bringing you out of bondage. So that's the lower story. Quick run through. So let's talk just a little bit about the upper story and our story. From God's point of view, what, what's going on here? Well, there's three things. Number one, God is fulfilling his prophetic promise that he had made 400 years earlier. We're going to see these throughout the Old Testament. God prophesies things, and then he brings them about. And so if you go back to Genesis 15 and verse 16, this is what God told Abraham many years earlier. He says, In the fourth generation... Your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So he's talking about the promised land. So he said there's going to be, going to be this period of, of 400 years and then you're going to come back here. He says, I'm not bringing you back here yet because the sin of the Amorites will not be at a place where I will feel like they are ready to be destroyed, which is what happened. And so we find this prophecy back in Genesis, and we see that being fulfilled. And one of the things we see here is that God, you're going to see this over and over again, God, God always does what he says he's going to do. He always fulfills his promises, always. Even when they were in Exodus 12, even when they weren't out of Egypt yet, he's telling them what he wants them to do when they're in the land he's going to bring them to. And so, the first thing we see here is that that God is is fulfilling his promises, and this is going to be a a theme that will continue. The second thing that's going on is that God is demonstrating his character and his glory. Uh, This is the purpose of the story. Let me say it one more time. This is the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story is for the God of the universe to display his character and his glory. Very important to understand. So how do you demonstrate a God's power to deliver if you don't have someone in a situation where they need deliverance? How do you demonstrate forgiveness in a world with no sin? Uh, How would God demonstrate mercy without any concept of judgment how would God bring about and create order if there was no chaos and so what we see here is these elements in the story are are coming to play because they become the backdrop for which God is going to demonstrate who he is and his character and, and what he is like this is the reason for the story just remember this little thing you know, the reason for the story is God's glory. That's the reason for the story. In Romans chapter 9, there's a discussion going on about Pharaoh. And they're talking about this fact that it mentions that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And listen to what is said in, in Romans nine seventeen. The comment is this. It says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed through all the earth. So why does God bring about the plagues and Pharaoh and harden Pharaoh's heart and all this? Because God is displaying his glory in all the earth. He is demonstrating his power. So Pharaoh had said, okay, you can go. How would God have demonstrated his power in that? And so it's the resistance of Pharaoh, is what we read here, it's the resistance of Pharaoh that is set up in the story that allows God to demonstrate his power in some amazing, amazing ways. We see in the story that by God's gracious choice, he involves us in the story, but the story is, is, we're not the main character in the story. The main character is God. And uh, this is a whole other sermon, but if you look at those experiences, he, he will demonstrate his presence with his people. He will demonstrate his power with the people. He will demonstrate his protection of his people. He will demonstrate his provision of his people, and he will demonstrate his plan by bringing it about just as he has promised. There's one more thing that God is writing in the story, and that is he is, he is foreshadowing an amazing, amazing event that is yet to come. That's what the story of Moses is, is really about. It's really about something much bigger than parting of waters and bringing a people out of slavery and bringing them through a land in the wilderness. All that stuff is just really a foreshadow of something far more amazing. And that's something that is far more amazing is that God would take a person, And I'm talking about you now, that God would take a person, not enslaved to Egypt, but enslaved to the prince of the power of the air, to the powers of darkness, to sin, and that God would work in such a way to bring them out of bondage, and that he would do that through the sacrifice of a lamb and through the blood. Judgment would pass over. And then God would impart his presence not this time through a pillar of fire and a cloud by day and night, but by his own very Holy Spirit poured into a person's life to lead us and guide us and, and continually make us aware, you know, to show us where we need to go. And we, so we have all these parallels in the, in the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and, and leading them and guiding them that will parallel, parallel the work that God is going to do through Christ in the life of every believer. It's really an amazing, amazing story. Well, let me conclude. Let me just conclude with a word about your story and my story. Just one little thing. Moses he started ministry at age 80 80 years old when he started so we need to get rid of this thinking that our best years are behind us okay i don't i don't find that here i don't see that abraham was 65 when god first talked to him he was 100 when he had the child that god had promised to him so you may have just retired from a job but but Your best years may be ahead of you ministry-wise and for what God is is doing in your life. You say, well, I'm I'm tired. Well, what else is new? We're all tired, aren't we? Ask the mom with three kids if she's tired. So we see here that that Moses gets this assignment. You know, we're going to have all of eternity to rest up, okay? Okay? You can have all of eternity. And, and what you want to do is you want to look back on your participation in God's story and, and what you want to see is that you played out your part, that you didn't sit down when God had one more scene, one more script for your life, one more thing he wanted to write into the story. Just a little aside there for <clears throat> those of us who are getting up in those years. The purpose of the story, there's two things I conclude with these. Number one, God wants you to trust him. God wants you to trust him. I realize this is hard. It was hard for the Israelites. It's it's hard for us. But there's something in the Bible that God wants you to trust him. That's so important to God. I don't know if we can understand that, but... It's just so important that you trust God. And, you know, when, you know, He's more interested in demonstrating His trustworthiness than yours. He's more interested in demonstrating His his power than demonstrating ours. He's more interested in demonstrating His love than ours, His wisdom than ours. It's, It's His stage, it's His story, and He wants us to trust Him. You know, if we were to rank sins in, ter- in, in order, what's the worst sin, you know, probably put murder and rape and torture, and we list all these sins. But one of the things we see here, and we see it in the book of Hebrews, one of the things that's highlighted is, it says, it talks about the sin at Meribah, and it says, the people said, is God really with us? That was the sin that angered God. Is God really with us? And I've said this before, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God because what you believe about God is the seedbed. And if you distrust God, it's the seedbed for every other sin. God desires you to trust him. He is trustworthy and so he wants you to to trust him. And here's the second one. God wants to deliver you. God wants to deliver you. He wants you to trust him. We see a picture here of Moses, and what we have is we have, we have these elements. First of all, we have slavery. Slavery. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Listen to these words. <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit is not work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. Okay? Hebrews 9, 27. For it is appointed <clears throat> unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. 27. So we see first of all here John 8.33 and 34 let me just back up one then they answered him we are Abraham's descendants, we've never been slaves to anyone, how can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin so we're all slaves, just like Egypt there is judgment that comes Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. Again Hebrews nine twenty seven is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. And so we see here that there's slavery and there's judgment, and we see this judgment is passed over through the blood of a sacrificed lamb. You know that night in the house it didn't matter. It didn't matter about the people in the house. It was the blood on the door. That was the only issue. It was the blood on the door. If the blood was on the door, you were passed over. That's the only factor. And then we see deliverance. God delivers his people. Colossians 1.13, the amazing verse. It says, For He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Well, we're going to stop there this morning. You know, I just want to leave this <clears throat> challenge with you. And this is important. This thing that we talked about in, with Moses, the slavery, the judgment was passed over, the, the deliverance out of bondage, and then journey to the promised land, that's real for every one of us. And uh, as we conclude today, I, I want to say this, I want to say this very clearly that everyone at one point in our lives was enslaved to sin. Every one of us is under judgment because of that sin. And it's only through the blood of Christ, it's only through faith in the work of Christ on that cross that will, will allow us to pass out of that judgment. Because we will all die and we will all stand before God and we will all face the judgment for our sin. And it is, as the scripture makes very clear, it is through faith in the work of Christ and the blood of Christ applied to our hearts that will allow us to be passed over and to experience his deliverance. If if you do not have the blood of Christ upon your life, then the scripture makes it very clear that you will perish. And so if you're here today and... and The blood of Christ is not upon the soul of your life. Uh, I plead with you to, to take and accept the work of Christ on your behalf and apply it to your life. Because if you don't, one day you'll stand before God and he'll look back and he might even say, do you remember February 15th, 2015? There was this guy up there talking and he told you. He told you that apart from the blood of Christ upon your life, that you would perish that, that was me speaking to you and so if you're there today I challenge you I admonish you to, uh, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and apply ask him to apply the work that he did on that cross for your life let's pray this morning Father I thank you for this story it is amazing to realize that we are participating in the reality here of what happened with Moses and that as the people were enslaved and and as there was judgment and as the the spirit of death passed over because of the blood of the lamb and that the people were miraculously delivered and and that you led them through that wilderness to the promised land. So, So, Lord, we have been invited to participate in that same journey today. And so I pray for anyone here, Father, who is is yet to receive the, the work of Christ in their life, the forgiveness that comes through just by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, to be delivered from bondage to sin and slavery. Father, I pray for those people here today that they might respond to you in faith. And Lord, for those of us who are on this journey, might we remember that, you want us to trust you you want us to trust you Lord perhaps there are some things today that we're not trusting you for and you are calling us and admonishing us to realize that you are a God who over and over and over again demonstrated the fact that you can be trusted not to write our story Father but to write your story and your story is always good write it through our lives even when we don't understand it. And so we would pray to this end. Father, we pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen.